calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co-founders of Reddit, but more recently, a large part of my identity is being a father to my wonderful daughters. In my podcast, Business Dad, I hope to open the conversation about working parents a bit. You'll get to hear from a wide range of business dads, from Rain Wilson and Guy Raz to Todd Carmichael and Shane Battier, to find out how they balance being a dad with a successful career. Business Dad is available now, so be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for coming to hang out with us here on Reppin. I am super excited to have my next guest. He's an immensely talented actor with an incredible list of credits. You've seen him on Law & Order, SVU, as Detective Nick Amaro. He was Scotty Valens on Cold Case. He's also been on The Shield, Brain Dead, Gone, Scandal, to name a few. And most recently, he played Miguel Galindo on Mayans MC. And he's also one of my favorite people. Today, we've got Danny Pino. So Danny, first and foremost, thank you so much. I love seeing you. It is always great to work with you. Tell me a little bit about what representation means to you. How do you define it? Well, first of all, thank you for having this podcast and thank you for inviting me and your your interests. I've had the privilege of talking to you throughout the years on multiple projects, so I appreciate you reaching back out. Privilege is all mine, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. But yeah. Not all yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Danny. So for me, representation has a much broader definition and it's a much broader conversation. But for you, how are you coming at it? How do you define representation? Before I answer that question, I think I need to go back so that my answer will be understood. I started acting when I was in sixth grade, in, you know, mostly on stage studied acting in middle school at Miami Rockway Elementary and then Rockway was then called junior high <laughs> and now it's now it's middle school and then uh, at Miami Coral Park senior high was also involved in theater and did a number of productions then going to college at FIU Florida International University also theater major and then ultimately also prepared for a performance at Tisch School of the Arts all that is to say not to bore anybody with my educational resume and my forays into academia, but it's to say that I hoped as a student to be able to play a wide range of characters, comedy, drama, good guys, bad guys, and everybody in between. And so when I think about representation, when I think about 
the kinds of roles that I like to watch and the kinds of roles that I like to be considered for and ultimately the kind of roles I like to play are roles that uh, vary within that spectrum, within that range of expression. Right. So I think sometimes when I hear, you know, people say that Latinos in general, because, you know, specifically Latinos, because that's usually where I'm, I'm grouped, right? Right. right. Uh, within that segment of Hollywood, there's often a interest, a thrust to only play positive characters, characters who will counteract the political atmosphere that is currently pervasive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel to feel truly represented is to represent all of the facets of humanity. Absolutely. Good and bad, positive and negative, in as realistic a way as possible. That That's not to say to play a stereotype. Right. I'm not giving anybody the, the pass to be lazy enough to write a stereotype, much less play one. But I do think that we need to be mindful not to limit ourselves in our expression and in our ability to explore humanity and see through the eyes of, you know, multiple characters, right? Not just characters who might paint us in a positive way. But I think when when we have truly reached representation is when we can play these, you know, multifaceted, difficult, complex uh, characters with duality without the fear of having to or the pressure to have to answer for having played them. Understood. Right? right. It's playing them because they're interesting, playing them because they're well-written, playing them because they're not stereotypes, because you see a kernel of humanity within them, even within the violence, even within the political difficulty of doing it, because some people in our society will lump everybody together as just being that. And they don't see the hypocrisy that not all middle-aged white uh, chemistry teachers are, in fact, not cooking meth. (laughs) Right. Let me just make sure that I'm understanding you correctly. There is a huge difference between stereotypes and essentially being human, because being human, you can be multiple things. You can be both good and bad. It's all very nuanced. Um, So you're talking about making sure that the characters and representation, it's fully flushed out. It's more three-dimensional. There's a huge difference between stereotypes and complicated characters, correct? Absolutely. Awesome. So let's back that up a little bit even more. Let's get a little bit more personal. So you're of Cuban descent, correct? Yeah, both my parents are Cuban. I was born in Miami, Florida. Were your parents immigrants? Because mine were. Yes. Yeah, both my parents were born in Cuba. You know, there's a distinction within the Cuban community, even though I consider Cubans to be immigrants. I also know the distinction of being an exile, Mm, right? Of having left their country, their homeland, thinking that, you know, someday that they would return. You know, most Cubans came to the United States thinking that it was a temporary relocation in, in the hopes and in the effort to reclaim their homeland and freedom. Right. And not under, you know, the strong arm of the Cuban revolution that continues today. So, you know, Cubans in a very patriotic way consider themselves exiles. 
especially the Cubans in my parents' generation and in my grandparents' generation. Uh, in my generation, you know, we're very much assimilated. You right. know, a lot of a lot of Cubans of my generation speak English better than they speak Spanish, or they don't speak Spanish at all. Right. They're as much, you know, pastelito de guayaba as they are apple pie, right? But the experience that Cubans had arriving in Miami and across the country was not unlike the immigrant experience that we share with other immigrant groups. When you were growing up, did you have a lot of people that you could relate to and look to? Because honestly, I grew up in the suburbs of New York. My parents were immigrants. I was born in the burbs. And to be frank with you, and I think we may have talked about it early on set at some point, but I didn't have anybody that looked like me, you know, around me. I was sort of the more awkward kid. You know, look, when we're in that age group, we're all trying to find our way. But when you don't see someone that looks like you, you feel even more separated. Did you have that experience or did you sort of have more of a community that you felt a little bit more included? You know, Evelyn, by the time I was born in Miami, you know, Miami was predominantly Cuban, especially the area of Miami that I lived in. You know, Miami is an incredibly diverse city, right. you know, just like a lot of major cities in the United States. I think it has a very specific feel, Miami does. I mean, it sometimes feels more like a Caribbean yeah. city than it does a typical American city. But in a lot of ways, it's it's very patriotic. But I did feel, I felt like there were so many people who looked like me and spoke like me and surrounding me. You That's know, great. A lot of the schools I went to were largely Latino, Hispanic, if not Cuban. You know, specifically, it wasn't until I truly moved out of Miami and went to NYU okay. that I felt, I guess, that I had my my own history, that I had a very specific oh, that's cool. uh, background that I needed to explain where I came from. You know, in Miami, everybody kind of knew yeah. what part of Cuba are your parents from, right? It was like everybody just, you know, not that everybody around me was Cuban. In fact, I met my wife when we were in middle school and she's Colombian. So, I mean, there's, you know, I'm simplifying it in, in a very crude way. Sure. But it's, it's, it still holds true that the majority of the people I went to school with were, were Cuban. Which is great. But it wasn't until I moved out of Miami that I, that I truly felt like I was different. Like I had, I had something to share or explain where, where I came from, where my family was from. But I also felt in a, in a weird way, more of a sense of pride. Okay, that's awesome. I explored Spanish, my Spanish, a lot more. The, you know, the, the language, I, I explored the music a lot more. I just found that within Miami, I felt much more American. And outside of Miami, I felt much more Cuban. It's interesting that you are pointing out your time in NYU where you noticed you had to explain yourself a little bit more. You felt your differences a little bit more. Can you talk a little bit more about how that felt and what that experience was like? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of that was based on the school. They knew that uh, we needed to explore who we were so that we could become different people. We knew where our neutral was, right? So along with exploring who we were and where we came from, 
you know, we had to listen to where other people came from and they were and what their experiences were. Educational in and of itself to see those differences and celebrate those differences as, as much as we were looking inward, we were also looking to see what what other people were about, right? Which is truly what acting is all about, to try and inhabit somebody else's skin right. for, you know, the two hours that a play is, well, you're on stage or, you know, the arc of a character on, on television or on film. So a lot of that self-analysis was within an environment of sharing the differences and, and celebrating the differences. I guess at, at the same time that I felt like I was different mm-hmm. and surrounded, I was in, in a way isolated as being, I'm, I'm the Cuban guy in the class okay. versus being one of a hundred Cuban guys right. in the class. I'm the Cuban guy in the class. That also made me feel empowered in a way. You know, an interesting thing happens where you feel like you have to speak for all Cubans, right? Okay. As if, as if we're monolithic, which obviously we're not. And it's not that the school, you know, was making me do that. But you feel like you, you feel almost a sense of you feel defensive, right? You want to protect your ethnicity, your culture. And, and so that was something that I realized I was doing. I was falling into that trap. But at the same time, you're able to kind of see from a distance the beautiful things about who we are and what we've brought to this country and how we've helped to, to contribute. And also you see, you know, things that may be more difficult to talk about, right. That maybe we don't address as a culture. I have a a different perspective, you know, being, being away from, from Miami that maybe I wouldn't have gleaned had I, had I stayed. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. How have you brought those elements and that understanding into your characters and your work overall, Danny? I hope I try to be as mindful and thoughtful on 
the roles that I choose. Mm-hmm. You know, we've come a long way in, in, in Hollywood. You know, the one Latino, specifically the one Cuban, when I was growing up, who I looked up to was Desi Arnaz because he was on the reruns of I Love Lucy. <laughs> right. You know, and now you turn on the television and, you know, you see so much diversity, so right. much difference. Right. right. And there is so much more opportunity. Right. But we also still have the scripts that are written in very stereotypical, right. lazy right. tropes that I do feel harm ge- the general society's understanding of who we are. Right. Those scripts are really easy to spot. Okay. You immediately know once, at least I do, very early on while I'm reading the script, <laughs> I, I kind of know where, where it's going. Yeah. I'm looking at your face like those yeah. are the easiest, the easiest to you know to walk away from. But it also fills you with you know some anger, right. right? And it fills you with some motivation to change it, so that there's no space for that anymore within our business. That the scripts were thoughtful and mindful of of those characters, and, and not present them in a way that is detrimental. Danny, you have a long list of awesome credits. You've been on Cold Case, Law and Order SVU, of course, and now you're playing Miguel Galindo on FX's Mayans MC, which is a terrific show. It's got a great cast, great characters, and just overall a great series. How much fun are you having? Can you talk about what it's like to be on a series and play such complicated, layered characters? And I love what you said earlier about stereotyped characters being pretty much a sign of... Um, you know, being lazy and convenient. And I think all of the characters you've played on pretty much all of the shows you've been on have been flawed, which is, you know, being human. (laughs) Can you talk about what it's like to sink your teeth into these great complicated characters? Because being human is complicated, right? Yeah, absolutely. Working on Cold Case and on SVU, you know, th- those characters, Scotty Valens, uh, Nick Amaro, they were very complicated. The writers on both shows understood that the life of a police officer is very much in the gray area. And also, that's what's interesting, not only for an audience to watch. I certainly respond more to those characters who live in the gray and are complicated and difficult and you know you start thinking about them when you're not watching the show you're like why would he do that right (laughs) that is inconsistent with the character and yet we're all inconsistent right Right. and so that's why i always had so much and i continue to have so much respect for the writers on you know cold case and and svu you know you see a lot of the same traits the the talent that our writing staff has on Mayans MC. It's it's a world of outlaws, of outcasts, of people living, you know, on the margins of society. People who are volatile right. world where life and death decisions happen daily, sometimes hourly. Yeah. That catalyzes a lot of the drama of our show. The atmosphere that's that Kurt Sutter and Elgin James have created and, and putting it on the border which, you know, has been in the news recently, I've heard. Maybe once or twice, yeah. Once or twice. Yeah. So it's a very complicated, complex story with so many different 
uh, connections and parallels, secrets, uh, that it's, it's just a rich place for actors to play. Miguel Galindo specifically, the character who, who I play, yes, he's the head of cartel, and, and on the face of it, even I would be quick to say, well, do we really need another cartel boss depicted on television or in film? And, and I understand when people have an aversion to that. I, I, truly, I, I truly get it. And I've certainly turned down several stereotypical cartel boss roles. I'm sure. <laughs> where, where you read the first page and you're like, and that's a pass. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just like no cop is, is the same. Right. And no fictionalized cop is written the same way. No crime boss is written the same way. Right. Or is the same. And I think in Miguel, Kurt and Elgin have tapped into the the duality of uh, a very interesting, I think, necessary character. And that is to say, have we achieved true representation when all of our characters on television are only positive depictions? Right. Or have we achieved true true representation when we have complicated, interesting, inconsistent characters that are interesting to watch and are well-written. Right. You know, I know what my answer is to that, but I'm hopefully not egotistical enough to think that that's everybody's answer. So that's what made it fascinating for me to join this incredibly talented, mindful, powerful cast. Our, our, Our writing staff And I know I'm talking about our show and it sounds like it's a sales pitch, but I've been around long enough to know that writing is it's the lifeblood of any show. Yes. Truly begins and ends in the in the writer's room. Absolutely. And so to have that be our our foundation. Right. I think is an incredibly positive step for a show that is majority Latinx actors, which. You know, I, I don't think is insignificant. I think that that is pretty, pretty big considering yeah. where, where we've come from. It's enormous. But, it's but enormous. There is something that I wanted to kind of emphasize that you said, I think, at the start of our podcast. And then again, and I think it it bears repeating because representation, it's about being it's about representing humankind and humankind, as you said it, it's. It's bad and good. It's complicated. It's inconsistent. And that's representation at its truest form, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that we want to we want to increase the range of expression in as complicated, artistic, and true a way as we can. Yeah, Miguel is totally a complicated character. I love Miguel because he has that duality. I love Miguel because, you know, he is capable of kind of unspeakable atrocities, right? But then in the following scene, he's uh, a loving father and, and husband and son. You know, that range of expression is, is, I think, what we're talking about. He can be and do essentially anything. He is unpredictable. He's a real human and he, being. Right, and, he's, and it, you don't write it off as him being a sociopath because he does have empathy. And so... It it makes for a very complex character and very fun to play and hopefully fun to watch. 
There is somebody that also that you're working with that's legendary. I grew up watching him on Miami Vice. I mean, let's talk about Edward James almost. He was one of those Latin actors that were at the forefront. Can you talk about what it's like working with him and what he has meant to you? I mean, I think you've mentioned in, in past articles that you really respected him and admired him even before you had a chance to work with him. Yeah, I, I didn't know he was part of the cast until I went to the first read-through and I, and I read the, the cast list. I was cast kind of late in the process. And so when I looked at the cast list, I had to look twice <laughs> at it. I mean, I, I can't really overstate how significant he is to Latinos in general and me specifically. While I was at Florida International University getting my bachelor's degree in theater, he came and spoke. He was a keynote speaker for the student body. Okay. And I was in attendance because I wasn't going to miss that. And not only was he talking about the importance of finding creativity within yourself, mm -hmm. but he was also talking about how meaningful it was to be a good citizen. It was, you know, profoundly uh, inspirational. Then cut to, you know, several years after that, where he had kind of planted the seed that maybe this was something I could pursue. Because in Miami, it's not Los Angeles, it's not New York. Right. You know, actors aren't around. Right. <laughs> Certainly there were no actors in my family or artists for that matter in my family. But, you know, after a, a few years in the industry, uh -huh. I was fortunate enough to be presented an award for my work. And I had this speech written. Uh-huh. Wait, which award was this? It was the Amahin Award. Okay. And people had gone up before the, the awards were called out, before my category was called out for the category that I was nominated for. And I had thanked Eddie. Oh. They kept talking about Eddie and Eddie was in the audience and I was like, oh man, Edward James Olmos is here. How cool that Edward James Olmos is here. And I didn't I didn't think I was gonna win, but I had this little speech uh -huh. written just because I didn't want to look dumb. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be prepared. Yes. Um, yes, that's good. And so I happened to to win that night and I, I walked up there and I, the first person I made eye contact was with Edward James almost. And I scrapped my speech. You scrapped yeah. it right there. Yeah, Go right ahead. there. I, I scrapped, you know, I thanked my wife, which is always very Please. important to do. Yes. Because <laughs> truly without her, we wouldn't be talking right now. <laughs> Total truth. So after I did that, you know, I dedicated the award to Edward James almost. And I told him that wow. he didn't know, he didn't know me, uh, but he spoke to me when I was in Miami as an undergrad and, you know, me being up there had a lot to do with him letting me know that it was possible and that I hoped one day to be able to call him Eddie the way everybody else was calling him Eddie. But for now, thank you, Eddie. Right. Right. Right? So he came up to the table afterwards very graciously that evening and introduced himself. He was like, you know, you can call me Eddie anytime. And I said, well, I want to earn that. And and so we, we left it at that. And it was much more, I guess, meaningful. Yeah. When I saw his name on the cast list, it was, it was much more meaningful. And then I was able to, you know, tell him that story. Did he remember? 
Yeah, I that's mean, he awesome. was very gracious. He was oh. very gracious. And, uh, and anyway, so now I call him Eddie. That's like a full circle moment. It was for me. You know, sometimes people say, be careful, don't meet your heroes because they can let you down. Sometimes they more than live up to it. That's amazing. Gosh, do you ever really think about what a hugely profound like moment all of this is? Like this culmination of seeing him as an undergrad, you know, he was definitely one of those people that showed you that you can do what you're doing. And now to be able to be working side by side with him, I mean, how does that land? You know, what it does is it makes me feel, makes me feel like we all have the potential to have the impact that Edward James almost had on me. We all have that potential. And do we take that responsibility on and open those same doors and provide that same hope for the people who, who are sitting in the audience who were us, you know, back in the day. Right. Do, do we have that insight in, in ourselves? Right. And so I, I constantly ask myself that question in terms of, you know, it's not enough just to enjoy the full circle moment. It's, how do you continue that circle? How do you reach back out and say, you know, not only am I enjoying the fact that, you know, I'm able to work with Edward James almost, but how has Edward James almost, how has his work influenced who I am and how I treat other people and how I see my, my place within this industry and within the world, not only as an actor and hopefully inspiring other actors and writers and directors and producers, but how, how do we also address who we are as citizens, right? And, and Eddie is very, very much a proponent of talking about that, right? Who, who are we within our own communities and, and how can we give to improve those communities? So, you know, it, it's not only, isn't this a great full circle moment? It's also kind of holding a mirror up to yourself and it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You know, it, I think it's about constantly asking yourself that question. It's constantly asking yourself, what else can I do? You know, what what else? How can I dig deep and, and find a way to uh, either shed light on something or to provide assistance somewhere? Uh, not, not necessarily for the claim of it, but just because it's the right thing to do. That's really awesome that you have that in your consciousness and that you do think about that. For anybody who doesn't feel recognized or seen or heard or valued, what would your best advice to them be? What would you say to them? I would say create. I would say empower. If you are in the field and you have a way to lift people up, lift people up. If you're just starting off, work. Create something for yourself. Write something for yourself. It, there's never been a better time with web series, yeah. you know, with the deluge of uh, material, whether it's streaming or on cable or network television. There's never been a better time to advocate for your own story, for create, create for yourself and your friends and people who we haven't seen right, and who must be seen. I'm less of a this is bad and this isn't working and why Why do you see us this way as much as I am an encourager? I believe that creation breeds creation. And so 
you know, go out there and create. There's so many ways that you can advance your messaging, the conversation, the thought, the discussion. Um, but people have to kind of get out there and do it and to create with thought. So what else do you have going on beyond Mayans? My next project is going to be a play. I will be back on stage after quite a, quite a long hiatus from the boards. So yeah, I'll be doing a play at the Geffen uh, Playhouse in Los Angeles. It's called Key Largo, and it's an adaptation from the film. And so it has a fantastic cast, and Doug Hughes is directing. Awesome. And uh, so, yeah, I'll be I'll be uh, reuniting with Andy Garcia. Oh wow! And with, and with Tony Plana. Okay. Uh, who, I've, who I've worked with both in the past, and and you know the rest of the cast is just phenomenal. We're up in uh, November until early December. That's going to be amazing. How, are you so excited to be back on stage? I mean, that's a little bit more nerve wracking sometimes because it's like right there. You know, it is. But it's also incredibly exciting. It's exciting to be able to play a character for, you know, two hours and to just explore that world nonstop, you know, without a second take, without waiting for cameras rearranged. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I think it's, it's such a fun adaptation. Uh, 1946, post-World War II, uh, in Key Largo. Uh, and there's, there's just, it's very, it's a very cinematic play. Uh, of, of the plays that I've done, it's probably the most cinematic. That sounds really cool. I'm definitely going to try to catch that. Please do. I'd love to see you there. So, Danny, we have a signature sign-off. Let us know who you are and what you represent. This is Danny Pino, and I represent all the sacrifices that my Cuban parents and grandparents made. Tremendous thanks and love to Danny Pino for hanging out with us. It's always great to see him. Get your tickets and see Danny in Key Largo playing at the Geffen Theater. It is a fantastic show with an incredible cast. So check it out. It runs till December 10th. And keep up with Danny on Twitter. His handle is at the Danny Pino. Thank you to the listeners for your time. We can be found at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review. Also, tweet us and let us know what your thoughts are. Our Twitter handle is at Podcast. Next time, we've got a fantastic actress and fantastic human being, Sabrina Guevara, is here. She takes a break from filming her hit show, ABC's Emergence, to hang out with us. So, don't miss it. As always, thanks to my crew, Nelson Pinero and Gracie Kong, for their love and care. Reppin' is a Suburban Outlaw Productions. Till next time, stand up and represent. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.